1: We come to confess our sins. Malachi chapter 4, the last three verses of the Old Testament. Hear God's word. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in horror before all of Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with the curse. Thus far as the reading of God's word, at the end of the Old Testament, uh, waiting 400 years for Jesus to come after this, Malachi tells Israel to remember Moses and his law. Remember Elijah; he will come to introduce the last day. That Elijah was John, and he gave Israel a call to repentance. Now, Malachi's summary of what John will do is fascinating. He will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the children to their fathers. That phrase bears much meditation. It's talking about the breakdown of families, of fatherlessness, of neglectful, selfish parents, all of which we see all around us today. But it also applies generationally. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a fair bit of disgust and blame out there toward our forefathers. There's animosity between boomers and zoomers, between Xers and millennials, to be writing words like snowflakes and normies get thrown around. Now it's fine to discern cultural trends over generations, of course, but the fruit of gospel repentance is hearts turned toward our fathers, turned toward the next generation. That, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Or be shaken by the wind? but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is released in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The grass the flower faith. but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said. Yeah. Well, we have here week two of a sermon series we started last week, and I wasn't here for every unusual thing to do, but we've done it. And we're going to be looking at the uh, libretto of the Messiah, that's just the way started us off last week, and uh, once again, most of the texts that we looked at in the service are those. Today, the theme is The Coming Shepherd King, and Jesus uh, comes as a healing shepherd, Number one. He comes as a king of peace. Number two. And he comes as an atoning lamb. Number three. And we'll look at each of those in turn as we look at these various texts. And we start with number one. And, with Jesus. And, and one of the main things to keep in mind here is the comingness the coming one, right? That's what we see in Matthew 11, verse 2. John's in prison, and he sends to Jesus, what's, what's the way he asks the question? Verse 2. Are you the coming one? Capital C, capital O. The coming one. Right? This means this is not a word for the Messiah. But uh, in, in the Jewish Indian. So that's what they want to know. Is Jesus the one who is to come? That's the thing here. This is the coming shepherd king. So as we look at each thing that Jesus comes and does, remember that he comes. There's, there's an advent, which, which is what the word means. So uh, let's start with Isaiah 40. That shepherds heal. We'll start with that. Jesus is uh, the coming of healing the shepherd. Isaiah 40 is a beautiful text that's in the Messiah. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm, carry them in his bosom, and gently eat those who are young. That's all shepherd kind of language is mentioned in the verse like a shepherd. The call to worship today is also part of the Messiah. Uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The word shepherd isn't mentioned in there, but it's later on in the same chapter that we're looking at here in Matthew 11. Shepherds lighten burdens. That's the thing that shepherds do. Right? Now on healing specifically, shepherds heal, let's turn to Matthew 11. We'll be there a while here today. Uh, again, John is doubting in verses 2 and 3 of Matthew 11 that uh, if, if Jesus is the coming one. Because, why? Because John's in jail, uh, and he's wondering if this is all going the way God meant it to go. We'll come back to that. But Jesus, and, and the Matthew text doesn't give us this, but Luke 7 does. But when they ask that question, Jesus turns, that Luke 7 says, and he heals many in that very hour. Right? and then he turns to John's messengers and he says alright now go and tell John what you've seen and then he quotes the next text from the Messiah Isaiah 35 then the eyes of the blind shall be opened the ears of the deaf the rain will leap like a deer see what Jesus is doing he's sending that to John saying don't you hear what I'm doing I'm healing it's happening Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. We're a little too used to the healing ministry of Jesus. But but think of it this way. I was at a conference just yesterday in the Friday night where the grand sweep of Scripture was given. One thing that was mentioned is this. You don't hear of a single healing ministry in the Old Testament after Elisha. You have to go all the way back to Elisha. There's an isolated miracle here and there after him, yes. But no one with the gift of healing. Israel came. They go into exile in Babylon. In Esther in Persia. Nehemiah in the rebuilt temple. All of the prophets, all alone. and then Malachi four at the very end of the Old Testament, one of the last. He says, "The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings." All of a sudden, here's Jesus, the coming one. John, by the way, does no miracles either. It's said. John did no miracles, but everything he said about Jesus was true. John does no miracles, but then all of a sudden, Jesus and the disciples healing, yeah. re- resurrection from the dead everywhere. Yeah. Shepherds heal. And Jesus proves that as spades. I'll come back to this a couple yeah. times. Sorry if it bothers you, but it's it's right there in the Word of the Rings, all the Tolkien puts this in at the end of the story, when the king returns and wins the great battle. But it's not the end. It's kind of the end in the movie or in the book. There's a lot of emphasis on the healing. The king takes time after the battle to heal those who have been wounded. And he's got the know-how, and he knows who to bring and who to come and make that happen. Shepherds, kings too. So the coming shepherd will feed us He will lighten our burdens He will heal us We all need a shepherd Because we all have burdens like that We all have wounds Like that And we try to feed ourselves With our own ideas With our own self-reliance But that's the shame We're dependent on God every day For our daily bread We try to unburden ourselves with me time or vacations, but that's just a surface thing. Only God can lift that crushing load from us and give our spirit a lightness and joy that he does heal. We try to heal ourselves with natural remedies or medical needs or hospitals. But there are only a few medicines that actually really work. Only God can heal the body and the soul. So that's my first point today. Jesus is the coming shepherd to heal me. Second, he's the king of peace. The prince of peace, Isaiah 9. But we looked at Isaiah 9 last week. The prince of peace. And then Zechariah 9, we see this as well. Rejoice, God. Your, uh, your king is coming to you. And, and then a couple lines further on, it says, He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea. This, I love, this this, uh, idea of Jesus speaking peace. And it comes up again in Ephesians 2, we'll get there in a second. But when Jesus speaks peace, it is not like the United Nations. Okay? And I think you know what I mean by that. They do a lot of speaking there. They speak about peace a lot. But there's never action that fully backs it up. Right? That's one of the frustrations with the UN. That's, that's the exact opposite of Jesus speaking peace. Right? There's an effective speaking of peace. And here's my second warning of the day's illustration. It's the same thing. Right? The king, at the end of that battle, at the end of the return of the king, remember that he gets the, the, the dead to, the cursed dead to fight with him? Because they're under a curse and they have to fight with the king. And here's the king. So if you fight for me and with me, you know be released from your oath then you can rest in peace is the idea, right? So they get to the end of the battle and the king then needs to actually say that and tell them you're released from your oath, right? That's the idea. I hold your oaths fulfilled and by the king speaking that it causes them to go rest in peace. Our king of kings, Jesus, his words are effective like that. His words make things happen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Right? That's what's coming for us on the day. And this is a major Advent thing. We will stand before God, every mouth stopped, knowing we are guilty, that we are under the curse. And then the king of kings will say to his people, I hold your sin, paid, guilt covered. Come to me in peace. Enter into the joy of your glory. That, that worry effectuates, makes it down, our salvation. That's the kind of king we have in Jesus. He came once already to prove it, dying on the cross. To reconcile us to God. In Ephesians 2, it says this. He himself is our peace. Verse 14. The enmity with God is gone. And more than that, more in Ephesians 2 goes on. He has created in himself one new man from Jew and Gentile. In the gospel, Jesus has done away with our enmity with one another. Ethnic segregation, racial animosity, gone. There's one new man, united in Christ. This is the way Ephesians 2 speaks, and they are at peace. Now, of course, there's the already and the not yet, right? We're not there yet. There's work to do there yet, obviously. Even in the church, we are not united. We are not at peace. And that is a burden. But it's one that our Lord will lift and overcome. He will bring true and lasting peace in the end. That's why we say, even so will come, Adventus, Lord Jesus. So we have a shepherd a healer who is coming. We have a, a king of peace who comes. And third, we have an atoning lamb. An atoning lamb. We return to John 1, 29. Have, Behold the Lamb of God, yeah, that is for our first heart. of if you get here early enough on a Sunday, uh, you're likely to hear me say this verse. I did it this morning. I usually do a sound check for the microphone to see if it's working, if it's all right. And I like to, it's kind of a funny thing, it, I, I like to impersonate Charles Spurgeon because the story is that he would uh, go into the church and, and test out his voice and the acoustics and, and use this verse. And so of the, the great Metropolitan tabernacle. Cry out in his loudest voice Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's told, that, I think it's mentioned, I don't know. It said that the janitor once was in there he was converted just by hearing that. This version is But imagine John the Baptist saying this. John was the prophet of Malachi 3, right? And that's what's going on here in Matthew 11 as we read through that text. Many in the Old Testament, consider again the grand sweep of Scripture, in the Old Testament, many pointed to Jesus in various ways. But only John could physically point and say, there he is. Right? That's him. In the fullness of time. Oh, we waited long. Years since Malachi's healer and his wings. 800 years or something like that since Isaiah's Prince of Peace. A thousand years since David's greater son. Two thousand years since Abraham's seed. Four thousand years after Eve's seed to crush the serpent, his promised. Late in time, behold him come, we say. Offspring of the virgin's womb. John points, and he says, "There he is, on one day, on the shores of Galilee." <clears throat> Notice Matthew 11, 11 again. If you're still there, the birth, 11 verse. What does Jesus say? This is what makes sense of this verse. I read. Jesus says, "Surely I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist." John is greater than Adam, Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah. Why? Because he had the privilege to introduce Jesus in person. The advent of Jesus is that big deal. I was at this, uh, at this conference yesterday, and providentially, the speaker spoke about this very thing. So I just admit, I'm with a little bit of this, for a minute, but I also have half of this written, too. Because it's so have never ever that. But uh, you see how stunning this is. What happened was, it was not Carson, person. He was relaxing. An and uh, he used this illustration, which makes it very point for me. He says, what if the, you know how at a conference they always introduce the next speaker, right? He says, what if I got up here? And I said, thank you for that introduction. You are the greatest person who has ever lived up until now. Because you got to introduce me. (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus says it about himself, <coughs> utterly true. That's how great Jesus is. It. So, he's far and more, far greater than any man who's ever lived. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is becoming the, the atoning Lamb. So, I, I've only pointed out so far that John has pointed to, to Jesus. So, just two more things to close with. That God in the flesh was the Lamb of God. John puts it that way. Lamb of God. Because every Jew then knew that a Lamb was the sacrifice you made to God to atone for your sins. Jesus is that Lamb. And they can think as they hear Lamb of God. Ever since Abraham and Isaac walked up that mountain in Genesis 22, And Isaac asked his father. You've got the fire and you've got the wood. But where's the lamp? And Isaac also cut the father's heart. Because he then you knew. Him. His son was the land. And he simply says to Isaac. God. God will provide the not only is John who great kingdom, but anybody in the kingdom of fully what the cross and the resurrection meant. John's proclamation was true, but it was incomplete. We are more qualified to tell the world about Jesus than John the Baptist was. So if we think about the greatness of John saying, Behold the Lamb of God, realize you have more to say. Three words. Just to summarize, God is building us together in peace. The poison of enmity will be sucked away. We are all reconciled to God together in one body, the body of Jesus. And so when we eat and drink here together, we act out this truth. So come, for all things are now ready. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's
0: pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.